6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Nehemiah, chapters 9 through 11. Verse 36, Behold, we are servants this day, and for the land that thou gavest unto our fathers to eat the fruit thereof and the good thereof, behold, we are servants in it. And it yieldeth much increase unto the kings whom thou hast set over us because of our sins. Also they have dominion over our bodies and over our cattle at their pleasure, and we are in great distress. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant, and we write it, and our princes and Levites and priests seal unto it. Now, what's going to follow here is a written covenant. They entered into a covenant at Sinai, obviously, but here they're, entering, they're re-entering, so to speak, and they're going to put this all down, and they're going to swear to it. Is it going to make a difference? Second and third guesses don't count, right? Okay. So let's go to chapter 10 and see what happens here. Now those that sealed it were, and we're going to have a list of names here, of people that sealed this uh, covenant. Now these are the sealed were Nehemiah. He's the first one in the, out of the, the list here. The uh, Tershatha, Tershith, that's a title incidentally. The son of Hakali and Zedekiah and Zariah and Azariah and Jeremiah, Pasher. That's not the Jeremiah of, of the captivity. It's, I believe it's a different one. Maybe Amariah, Malchiah, Hatush, Shebaniah, um, Malach, Harim, Merimoth, Obadiah, Daniel, Ginnathon, Baruch, Meshalem, Abijah, Midian, Maaziah, Bilgai, Shemaiah, these were the priests. Okay, good start. And the Levites. Um, we have both Jeshua, the son of Azaniah, Minui, the sons of Henadad, Cadmiel, uh, and their brethren, uh, Shebaniah, Hodajiah, Kelida, Peliah, Hanan, Micah, Rehob, Hashabiah, Zakur, Sherebiah, and any. And, uh, Shebaniah, Hadashai, Bani, and Biniu. Um, again, for us, it seems very remote. Why are these? Re- what, you know, what, the, the real point, one of our points to take here is that this is just God keeping records, and He keeps records on each one of us. These happen to be here in the Word. And we're continuing, verse 14. The chief of the people, Parosh, Pahathamoeb, Elam, Zathu, Bani, Buni, Azagad, Babai. Adonijah, Bigvai, Adin, Ater, Hizkaiha, Azur, Hodijah, Hashum, Bejai, Harif, Anathoth, I'm going to come back to that one, Nabai, Magpayash, Meshulam, Hazer, Meshazabil, Zadok, Yadua, Pelatiah, Hanan, Ananiah, Hosea, Hananiah, Hasheb, Halo, Shesh, Pelhea, Shobek, Rehum, Hashabna, Messiah, and Ahijah, Hanan, Anan, Malak, 
Harim Bana. You know, you say, Jicha, why are you reading it? You're not pronouncing it right in the first place, and why do that? Well, it's a tough thing because I don't have a lot to contribute here. I'll pick one thing to talk about, but um, uh, it's sort of resolved. I'm either going to go through it verse by verse with you, cover to cover, or I'm going to skip. And once I start skipping, where do you draw the line? You see, so I'm just, uh, it seems appropriate to at least make an effort here. But I want to talk about a name that leaps out here, uh, Anathoth. You wonder, what is this about? This has occurred now about three times in these lists. Uh, it came up first in Ezra, it came up before in, uh, in uh, uh, Nehemiah, and it came up again. And uh, it's just, it, it gives rise to an event that occurred in the days of Jeremiah that we should look at. When you think of Anathoth, if you read your Bible out, you meet, the man from Anathoth was Jeremiah, the first verse of the prophet Jeremiah. He was the prophet from Anathoth, and it, it becomes a label of his all through his book. But an event occurs in Jeremiah 32 that when you're reading through Jeremiah, you wonder, what on earth was that all about? It's one of these little tidbits, and I think you've learned by now that behind any of these things, there's usually a discovery. So let me pause for a minute and take a quick look at Jeremiah 32. For those of you following your own Bibles, turn to Jeremiah 32. We're going to go from verse 6 and following for a few verses. Jeremiah is asked to do a strange thing, and of course, by faith, he does it. Jeremiah 32, verse 6. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came unto me, saying... So notice what he's about to do, strange as it may seem, is something God told him to do. So he does it. Verse 7. Behold, Hanamiel, the son of Shalom, thine uncle, shall come unto thee, saying, Buy thee my field that is an Anathoth, for the right of redemption is thine to buy it. Now understand the picture here. He's got an uncle that owns a piece of property. Jeremiah fully understands that the nation is about to go into captivity for 70 years. That's not a very good thing for the real estate market. You follow me? And so, but God's telling him to go, go buy this. So buy thee the, my field, that is an Anathoth. Or he's, he's pointing out that Hanamiel, uh, his uncle, is going to come, he's going to try to pawn off this land. Buy thee my field, which is an Anathoth, for the right of redemption is thine to buy it. In other words, he has the right to because he's of that tribe. See, Baron, it's a tribal area, so in order to buy it, he had to be the proper lineage and all that. So he's going to buy it. So, okay. So Hanamiel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison. See, <laughs> Jeremiah's in prison. They think he's a traitor because he keeps saying you should yield to Nebuchadnezzar. Anyway, according to the word of the Lord, and it said unto me, Buy my field, I pray thee, that is an Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin. For the right of inheritance is thine, and the redemption is thine. Buy it for thyself. Then I knew that this was a word of the Lord. In other words, God had told him to do that. When his uncle does come and offer it, and he realized, okay, for whatever reason, God wants me to do it. So he's, he's going to shell out what I, you know, his real money to buy this land that he'll never live to see and may never again, and you know, the concept is that it's down the drain from his point of view. And I bought the field of Hanamiel, my uncle's son, that was in Athoth, and weighed him the money, even 17 shekels of silver. And I subscribed the evidence and sealed it and took witnesses and weighed him the money in the balances. Now the way this works is they will take a deed for the land He'll pay the uncle for the title to the land, for the, for the deed. And then on the outside of the scroll, they'll write the requirements to redeem it. And they'll put, put this in a jar somewhere and hide it so that after the 70 years' captivity, they can come back and his descendants, whoever 
comes back, they can prove he's entitled can, by conforming to the information on the outside of the scroll, um, they, they, they'll, they'll have this land. So he says, So I took the evidence of the purchase, both at that which was sealed according to the law and custom, and that which was open. See, they make two copies. One is sealed and put in a, typically a jar and, and hidden somewhere in a trave or in some special place. And I gave evidence of the purchase unto Baruch, the son of Neriah, the son of Messiah, in the sight of Hanamiel, mine uncle's son, and the presence of the witnesses that subscribed the book of the purchase before all the Jews that sat in the court of the prison. Okay, that all sounds pretty good, doesn't it, huh? And I charged Baruch before them, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these evidences, these scrolls, this evidence of purchase, both which is sealed and this evidence which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel, that they may continue many days. And that's it. Now, what on, you're going to Jeremiah, it goes on to other subjects now. What on earth is this all about? Now, if you're a normal, well-adjusted person, you read that and shrug and move on. But if you've been to one of my Bible studies, you're no longer a normal, well-adjusted person. You realize I have this preposterous viewpoint that every detail in the Scripture is there by divine design. And Paul confirms this. Whatsoever things are written aforetime were written for our learning that we, through the comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope, right? So why is this here? I'm bringing it up, of course, because we're in Nehemiah and the remnant are returning. They've established the temple. They've established the city of Jerusalem. They're back in business. And among them, we assume, there is a descendant of Jeremiah. And he will dig up these vessels. He'll encounter the evidences, the scrolls. He'll comply with the requirements to prove that he's of the line and so forth. And he owns that land. You follow me? Now, why does God want you to know that? For two reasons. One is to give you a little perception of how they dealt with land. Because, see, the land didn't belong to anybody. It belonged to God. It was assigned by tribe. They were tenant. They really, it technically is what we would classify as a lease. But let's not get into that right now. So, what does this got to do with anything? Well, let's go see what John tells us. John goes to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. John says, I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne. He's in heaven, ruler of the universe. I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside. Oh, why is it written on the backside? Because it's a title deed. And it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and loose the seals thereof? And there's this heavy, terrible sentence. And no man in heaven, nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither look thereon. It had to be a kinsman. It had to be a kinsman of Adam, because this is a title deed to the earth. But no man in heaven or earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither look thereon. That's the general. There's an exception, fortunately, because the next verse, John, you and I don't understand this, but John did. The scripture says, I sobbed convulsively, is what the Greek actually says. I I wept much in the King James. I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither look thereon. Huh. But one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book 
and to loose the seven seals thereof. Boy, that's great. Who is the Lion of the tribe of Judah? Jesus. It's interesting. John hears that as the title, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David. And then he turns to look, and what does he see? I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders, guess what he saw? Stood the Lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And the book, the book of Revelation continues, as he opens the seven seals, taking possession of that which he purchased some 2,000 years ago on a wooden cross erected in Judea. He's purchased it. He owns it. He's going to take possession and dispossess the land of the usurpers. And that's what the Revelation deals with from chapter 5 through chapter 19 when we see the King of Kings and Lord of Lords make his victory appearance. That all derives from this little episode back in Nehemiah 27. Anyway, let's move on. And the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the porters, the singers, and the Nethanims, and all they that had separated themselves from the people of the lands unto the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, every one having knowledge and having understanding, they clave to their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and unto, into an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe to, and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his judgment statutes. When it says curse, it doesn't mean they didn't curse him. They invoke the curse that God had announced back in, in, the, in, the, in the Torah, if you will. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't get confused on that, that point, if I, if, I, if I may. So... Um, the rest of the people, said, and, and, and that we would not give our daughters unto the, land, uh, the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. That was they, they, they enumerate the various commitments they're making here. The, um, so they're all binding themselves, in effect, in writing. The curse, by the way, if those of you want to chase that down, is, is in Deuteronomy 28, verses 15 through 68. So it's not something I'm making up. So and, and we would not give our daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their daughters. They want to keep separate, you see. And if the people of the land bring ware or any victuals on the Sabbath day to sell, that we would not buy it of them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, that we should leave the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. Also we made ordinances for us to charge ourselves yearly with a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of bread. You know, getting back to the, one small thing, on this uh, Sabbath year, every seventh year, all debts were forgiven. That was Israel's approach to giving someone a clean start. It intrigues me to discover that in the Christian community, there are many Christians that don't honor the laws of bankruptcy. What I mean by that is they, you know, the, law of, the laws of the land are that if you go through bankruptcy, you are debt-free when you come out. And uh, uh, having gone through that back 10 years ago, uh, it su- surprises me to discover to, that uh, I, was, I, was, uh, I, I personally backed a public company that went down, and because it went down, I went down. I was trying to support it, foolish enough to try to support it myself, and obviously (laughs) got what I deserved. But uh, uh, of the shareholders that lost lots of money, investors that lost a lot of money, it's interesting that the secular shareholders shrugged it off. They knew it was a high-risk venture, and it was one of those things. You win win if you lose a few. But there's a very small number of Christians that were involved that 
still to this day are bitter because they feel I should somehow still, you know, come up with uh, $20 million and pay off the shareholders and so forth. That's their concept. And uh, I suppose if I was, if there was some conceptual way of doing that, I'd be probably tempted to, but it's obviously not. That's part of what bank- bankruptcy is about, is r- erasing the blackboard, giving a clean start. And that's biblical. That's what they did in Israel. And that's why it surprises me to discover that the intolerance of that approach, a new start approach, comes, strangely enough, from uh, uh, a, a, uh, the Christian community, which is strange. We, that's one of the things we probably should uh, um, document more thoroughly. The whole experience of going through the bankruptcy was a very, very interesting experience. The people that we thought were close friends weren't. The people who we never met rallied around us and saw us through. Uh, it was a very interesting lesson on what's real and who, are, who put shoe leather to the faith. It was an interesting time. And uh, I can remember vividly um, Hal and his wife coming in and giving us a $50,000 check and saying, this is not a loan, it's a gift. We know you're in trouble, you need it. And how, how different that was right up front. There was no, no ifs, but you, know, you, you, you understand people who understand in times like that. Moving on, verse 32. Also we made ordinance for us to charge ourselves yearly with a third part of a shekel for the service of uh, the house of our God. And uh, that's the, uh, this, uh, this half shekel annually uh, in Exodus 30 is where that, in verse 11 and following, is where that's, that's part of the Torah. For the showbread and for the continual meat offering and for the continual burnt offering of the Sabbaths and of the new moons, for the set feasts and for the holy things and for the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of God. In other words, they're going to support their religious establishment as the Torah provides. That's what they're committing to. And they're committing to all this in writing. Okay, And we cast lots among the priests and Levites and the people for the wood offering and uh, to bring it to the house of our God after the houses of our fathers at times appointed year by year to burn upon the altar of the Lord our God as is written in the law and to bring first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all the fruit trees year by year into the house of the Lord. And also the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle as is written in the law and the firstlings of our herds and of our flocks to bring to the house of our God unto the priests that minister the house of our God. That we should bring the first fruits of our dough, our offerings, the fruit of all manner of trees and of wine and of oil and unto the priests to the chambers of the house of our God and the tithes of our ground unto the Levites that the, that the same Levites might have the tithes in all the cities of our tillage. The priest of the son of Aaron shall be with the Levites, and when the Levites shall t- t- take tithes, and the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes, the tithe of the tithes, in other words, unto the house of our God, to the chambers, uh, into the treasure house. We're going to talk about those chambers in, in the next session. For the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the corn, of the new wine, the oil, and the chambers, which are the vessels of the sanctuary, and the priests that minister, and the porters, and the singers, and we will not forsake the house of our God. So this is the stipulations that they're, they're um, committing themselves to. Chapter 11. And the rulers of the people dwelled in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people also cast lots to bring one of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine parts to dwell in other cities. So it seems they liked the suburbs. That was a popular option, apparently. Comparatively few people live in Jerusalem, partly because of the rubble. Remember in mind, this is just being, getting ready to be rebuilt. The walls are up. That helps the gates are repaired, so they have some, some security, but it is yet to be really occupied by people. So about one-tenth of them are to reside in Jerusalem, and uh, here it's called, incidentally, interestingly enough, the Holy City, which is an interesting label. And, uh, and, and so they drew lots to see who was going to do what here. 
So and the people blessed all the men, and they willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. Now these are the chief of the province that dwelt in Jerusalem, but in the cities of Judah dwelt everyone in his possession in their cities, to wit Israel, the priests and the Levites and the Nethanims, those are probably the descendants of the Gibeons, if you remember, and the uh, children of Solomon's servants. And at, Jerus- at Jerusalem dwelt certain of the children of Judah and of the children of Beth- uh, Benjamin, of the children of Judah, Athiah, the son of Uzziah, the son of Zechariah, the son of Amariah, the son of Shephatiah, the son of Mahalil, and the children of Perez, and the Messiah of the son of Baruch, and the son of Kol Jose, and the son of Isaiah, and the son of Adiah, and the son of Jairib, and the son of Zechariah, the son of Shiloni. You know, a lot of you have Bibles with pronunciation accents. Uh, I steer away from those because I find it simpler without them, but at times like this, I would... I should have probably cheated. <laughs> anyway, all the sons of Perez who dwelt in Jerusalem were 403 score and eight valiant men, and these are the sons of Benjamin, Salu, the son of Meshulam, the son of Joed, the son of Mediah, the son of Koliah, the son of Messiah, the son of Ethiel, the son of Jesiah, and after him, Gabai, Salai, 928. I'm intrigued that God seems to be an accountant. He keeps track of all of us in detail. Now, in the notes that accompany these tapes, there will be details how the reckoning in First Chronicles or Second Chronicles is slightly different, and tried to, scholars have tried to explain where there seems to be... They're relatively trivial variations, and most of them are explainable. Some are not. There's probably some, some uh, you know, scribal errors that have crept in, perhaps, but they're trivial, obviously, of, of any import. And uh, so... And Joel, the son of Zechariah, was their overseer, and Judah, the son of Zenuah, was the second over the city. And of the priests... Jedediah, the son of Joarib, and Yachin, Zariah, the son of Helkiah, the son of Meshulam, the son of Zadok, the son of Merareth, and the son of Ahitab, was the ruler of the house of God. So these are the priests, okay. And the brethren that did the work of the house were 822. Nadiah, the son of Jerome, the son of Pelilah, the son of Amazi, the son of Zechariah, the son of Pasher, the son of Malchiah, and his brethren, the chief of the fathers, 240 and 2, and Mashiah, the son of Azareel, the son of Hashai, the son of Meshilamoth, the son of Immer. The brethren, mighty men of valor, 128, and their overseer was Zadabiel, and one of the great men, and the Levites, uh, Shema, uh, and of the Levites, Shemaiah, the son of Heshub, the son of... You understand the difference between a Levite and a priest. Priests had to be direct, direct descendants of Aaron. The rest of the Levites were Levites, okay? Um, anyway, uh, Continuing uh, verse 16, that Shabbatai and Jezebad and the chief of the Levites had oversight uh, outward business of the house of God. And Mataniah, the son of Micah, the son of Zabai, the son of Asaph, was the principal to begin the thanksgiving and prayer. And Bakbukiah, the uh, second among his brethren, and Abda, the son of Shamua, the son of Galal, the son of Jedatham, all the Levites in the holy city were 200, fourscore, and four. More of the porters, Akub, Talman, and their brethren that kept the gates were in 172, and the residue of Israel, of the priests, and of the Levites were in all the cities of Judah, everyone in his inheritance. Now that's interesting. Everyone is on, Remember, the Levites had 48 cities. So even though we're focusing on Jerusalem, there are tribal elements scattered throughout the land in, in their traditional locations. But the Nethanims dwelt in Ophel. These are the servants to the temple, and they were, Ophel was the original city of David. And Zaha and Gispa were over the Nethanims. And the overseer also of the Levites in Jerusalem were Uzi, the son of Beni, and the son of 
Hashabiah and the son of Methaniah, the son of Micah, and the sons of Asaph, the singers, were over the business of the house of God. And it was the king's commandment concerning them that a certain portion should be for the singers due every day. Now, I think that's kind of interesting because apparently Artaxerxes is taking an interest here. And uh, he obviously is keeping track of his, his, his friend Nehemiah. But it's interesting, he apparently isn't just watching over. He apparently has issued some rules because it's the king's commandment. He made sure that the singers were taken care of. He must have liked music. Now, he's a pagan king, but he's, he's, he's the benefactor of, of uh, Nehemiah in that sense. And, and he uh, apparently has uh, put, uh, put his own uh, <laughs> requirements uh, in the hopper here. Methiah, the son of Meshezabiel, of the children of Zerah, the son of Judah, was at the king's hand in all matters concerning the people. And for the villages and their fields, some of the children of Judah dwelt at Kiriath Arba. That's the old name for Heshbon, or Hebron, I should say. Uh, and in the villages thereof, and at Dibon, and the, in the villages thereof, and at Jechabzeel, in the villages thereof, and at Jeshua, at Moladah, and at beth and the, at uh, hazar Shewal and at Beersheba, and in the villages thereof, and at Ziklag, and Mekanah, and in the villages thereof, and, and Rimmon, and Zeriah, and at Jarmuth. And a lot of these, the scholars don't know where they are. A lot of them can be located. I haven't bothered to keep a map because it would be pretty spotty going, but uh, for what it's worth, uh, so many of these we do, some we don't. Zenoah, Adullam, and their villages, and Lachish, and the fields thereof, and Azekah, the field, and the villages thereof, and they dwelt from Beersheba unto the valley of Hinnom. Valley of Hinnom was just south of Jerusalem. Beersheba is way down in the Negev. That's where the University of Ben-Gurion University is located today. It's, it's, it's serious. You're down in serious desert there. The children of Benjamin from Geba dwelt at Michmash and Ijah and Bethel in their villages. And at Anathoth, Nob, Ananiah, Hazor, Ramah, Gataim, Hadid, Zeboim, Nabalat, Lot, and Ono, the Valley of the Craftsmen. And other Levites were divisions in Judah and in Benjamin. And so ends this session. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Nehemiah. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.